everybody, and welcome to the Organized Play panel. I wanted to start off by saying, you know, this time last year, none of us thought we would be coming to you as tiny little boxes on your computer screen. Um, and if you've been a part of this community for a while, thank you, truly. This community has done an amazing job bringing people together, and it's an honor to work with my amazing coworkers here on my team and elsewhere at Paizo with the freelancers who write and illustrate the products that we produce with the volunteers who organize and GM everything. Just thank you all so much. This community is truly a blessing. And if you're new, welcome. We are so glad to have you. We'll be starting with some basics off here today. So you know what we're talking about when we say organized play. Um, so start off with the introductions. Uh, my name is Linda Zayas Palmer. I am the development manager for the digital adventures team. Um, as a digital adventures team, we make these organized play adventures that we're going to be talking about here today, as well as some bounties and um, one shots, which are other short form adventures that you'll hear our fellow team member Thurston Hillman talking about in a panel on Friday about Paizo's print and digital adventure offerings. And I'd like to introduce our other panelists as well. Um, Alex, would you like to tell folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, yes. Hi, hello. I am Alex Spidel, he, him. I am Paizo's organized play coordinator as of a couple weeks ago, I think. I don't know, time is a weird soup these days. Um, but what that means is that while Linda and her team write and develop the adventures that we put out and get them all out to you, my job is working with the wonderful community that she mentioned, our volunteers and our players to make the games happen, to make events like Gen Con Online, like PaizoCon, all of our other events happen, and sort of do a little bit more of the kind of nitty gritty organizational stuff so that the editors can focus on bringing you really fun adventures. How about you, Jenny? Uh, Jenny, I don't hear you. Sorry, it was muted. Can go. you hear me now? <laughs> okay. Hi, I am Jenny Jarzabski. Right, that like brought back a memory. Can you hear me now? Anyway, I am the <laughs> Starfinder Society developer or line lead person. Uh, I do a lot of stuff in space. I, I think I may have been out in the drift for a little too long. It's pretty weird out here, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I just really also enjoy the fact that I get to be part of and work with this amazing community. Uh, these amazing freelancers, volunteers, and everybody who plays these games, whether it's at home or coming into the stores. Uh, Y'all are amazing, and this would not be a thing without all of you. So as excited as I am to sit here before you and, and answer questions and talk, like, you know, I just, I just want to say, like, thank you so much. Like, you're great. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, you can, you can move to someone else. <laughs> Mike? Hi, I'm uh, Mike Kimmel, and I'm the Pathfinder Society developer here at Paizo. And uh, I'm basically Jenny's counterpart, but over working on Pathfinder Adventures instead of Starfinder Society Adventures. Uh, I joined up in January just this year. So um, I feel very connected to the, the freelancing community and the, as a freelancer myself and to the, the org play community as a whole. And I'm just sad that my tenure here has all been remote so far. And I'm just looking forward to getting a chance to see people 
in person again. Um, but in the meantime, I'm excited to be here and talking about the exciting things that uh, our community gets to enjoy. I think the so, strange thing about our team is that other than Linda, our whole tenure has been remote for all of us, which is a little odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is pretty strange. In. Into the into the virtual space. That's <laughs> yeah. where a lot of gaming is happening nowadays too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do I exist outside of the computer? I don't know. Like, I may just be an infosphere presence for all you know. Mm, <laughs> I've, met, I've met all of you IRL, though, so I'm pretty sure you Unless this is some elaborate trick. You know, it, it could be. This this could be all a simulation. But anyway, let's let's not let's not go down that path too deeply. <laughs> We've derailed yeah. already. <laughs> so, so Alex, sorry. <laughs> Alex, what is organized play? What is organized play? Organized play is when coworkers get, get together and talk about how they're all computer simulations. Um, no, that's <laughs> mostly not what it is. Um, so organized play at its core is our Paizo's worldwide uh, campaigns that we put together. They are living campaigns. So it's a chance for people to sit down all around the world, play the same adventures that people everywhere else are playing, to form communities, you know, locally, nationally, globally, and be part of a larger campaign. Because the adventures that we put out, you know, have they have ramifications. The decisions that players make have repercussions on future scenarios. But at its core, it's it, like I say, it's it's a global campaign. It's a way for you to find people to play these games that we all love with you know whether it's online whether it's with people at your local game store or you know like i said at these larger events like like gen con so yeah it's that's that's what it is in a nutshell that's how i try to explain it to my family so folks watching this are wondering how do they get involved how do they connect with how do they find games at gen con how do they find games online how do they do that what what advice would you have for them Oh gosh, I have so much advice. So there are a number of places that you can get started with with organized play, whether it's locally or at Gen Con. If you're at Gen Con this weekend right now, if you go to Gen Con Online's event registration, all of our Pathfinder and Starfinder events that are being run are organized play. Uh, almost all of them, not all of them, but like a lot of them um, are available for low level adventurers. So if it's got levels one to four on it, that's something that you can bring a brand new character to. If you've never played, you show up with a character, say, hi, I built this character, can I play them? If you don't have a built character, that's fine. We have pre-generated characters, one for each class that you can say, I want to be a cleric, or I want to be a druid, or I want to be uh, uh, something else. I forgot all of the other classes. And Oracle, Oracles are great. Um, but you can sit down, we can hand you a pre-generated character. Um, so go to Gen Con's website, search their ticket catalog for all of Paizo's events, or just hop onto our Discord server. It's at uh, paizo.events is the web URL. You can join the Discord server there and say, hello, I would like to play a game. Please help me out and we have wonderful volunteers who can help you out. Outside of Gen Con Online and this weekend, there are a few different places that you can check out as sort of hubs for our different games. Um, if you go to Paizo's forums, there is an organized play forum that you can uh, locate games in your area. There's an event section that you can say, hey, I'm looking for games in, you know, wherever, Seattle, Washington, you know, Pittsburgh, I'm looking for them in, uh, I'm trying to think of a foreign city, London. London's not in America. Uh, but you can post there, people will help you out. Um, if you go to warhorn.net, I hope, that is where a lot of our lodges list their events. I hope it's .net and .com <laughs> and not .com. Uh, I'm good at my job. <laughs> but if you go there, a I lot mean, of our lodges <laughs> <are> <laughs> their, 
a lot of our lodges <laughs> events there. If they're online events, they're also listed there. And a lot of our local lodges, even if they cover a specific geographic region, will welcome people from around the world at their online events. So go there, check them out. Um, the online region's main hub is the Discord server located at pfschat.com. Uh, if you go there and say, hello, I would like to play a game, our wonderful online volunteers will take care of you there. So there's a number of different ways. You can also just, I don't know, throw a message into the into the void on a dove and say, I would like to play organized play, and someone will probably tell me about it. It is warhorn.net, by the way. You're, you're correct, Alex. I'm so good at my job. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Um, but um, so so we have a uh, a reward system for players who are playing Pathfinder and Starfinder Society that's called achievement points, where they can get some special rewards for their characters. You want to tell us a little bit more about that, Alex? I would love to tell you about achievement points or ACP as we call them because we love acronyms. <laughs> we do. So achievement points are a way to reward, I will say, kind of our frequent flyers, our frequent players, the GMs and players who run games regularly for us. Every game that you play, you will earn achievement points for Pathfinder or Starfinder Society. You'll get four as a player, you'll get eight as a GM. I do know those numbers are correct. Um, so if you sit down and play, you'll get four points. There are certain special events where we attach multipliers to the events. So for a major show like Gen Con, there's a 1.5 times multiplier on it. So a GM would get 12, a player would get six. For other local regional events that have support, there's a little bit smaller multiplier, but it incentivizes going out to your local game stores to other events and not just hanging out, you know, in your basement with a group of your friends. Not that we don't want to encourage you to do that, but part of what makes Organized Play so great is forming this community that we've been talking about, finding these other people in the hobby. And so we want to encourage people to go out and do that to these different events. So anyway, you've earned all these achievement points. What do I do with them? Well. We have a lovely achievement points store that we are constantly making additions and improvements to on the Paizo website. Uh, with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, it has a lovely rarity system built in by the designers already that kind of dictates what's common in this world, what's on, uncommon and what's super rare. And the way that you get access to those uncommon and rare options in any campaign is ask your GM. For Pathfinder Society, we're the GM. So what we've said is if you play enough games, you will accumulate points. You can then spend those points for boons that will let you do things like play uncommon or rare ancestries, or maybe have access to a particular uncommon spell or item or something like that. So it's a reward for those people who keep coming back and playing that you can, you know, have access to those those slightly rarer character options or slightly, you know, little bit shinier character options for you. Um, it does also, it is our way to reward our GMs because GMs get more and we we always need GMs. The program doesn't run without our volunteer GMs. So by running games for us at cons, at local game stores, you do get a little bit more points. So you do you do get a little bit closer to those rewards. So I did want to touch on one thing that, that Alex was alluding to there, that with organized play, you really can play it anywhere. And a lot of folks do like to yes. mix it up. I've enjoyed playing it with with friends in my in my house, as well as in gaming stores and conventions and all sorts of places. When you have characters with organized play, those characters stick with you. You could play your first game in your basement, your second game in another country, and your third game in a game store, and your fourth game in a convention. And like, it's all the same character, and it all comes with you. So that's one of the, the main advantages of organized play is that we have this community that lets you, that operates sort of under this shared set of assumptions that lets you be flexible in the way you play and easily welcome new players into your game. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can you can take a character anywhere you want there, and you know that any table that you sit down at is playing by the exact same rules, which is which is really nice that you know that your character will always work no matter where you take it. So yeah. Was there anything else about organized play that you wanted to share with folks before we move on, Alex? I mean, gosh, I could talk for a full hour about organized play, but I've been strictly instructed not to. Um, so I will, I will just say before we talk about the Pathfinder and Starfinder Society lines specifically that you know, like we've said, it is, it is truly a community. I know that especially over the past eighteen months, a lot of people have really found solace and comfort and camaraderie within this community in a time when we are all very isolated we are all in our little boxes on screens um you know only talking to one or two other people and so this is this is really a great chance for you to sort of get out meet other people like-minded people who enjoy the same kind of games you do it's great and all of our volunteers are more than happy to welcome you don't ever be afraid to reach out and just say i'm new i don't know something how do i get started because we will absolutely help you out Awesome, thanks. So Thank we've got a bit more information to share about um, our retired programs as well, the ones that um, the ones that are not currently active, the first edition Pathfinder Society program and the Pathfinder Adventure Card Society. So the uh, yes, very pretty. So the first edition Pathfinder Society program is um is still something that people can play based on the first edition uh based on the first edition game we've got a bunch of adventures out there and people can freely schedule and run games using those um we've been uh we did a little bit of work recently on um getting those last rules options available for people to play with their characters in pathfinder first edition so if you haven't checked that out take a look at the additional resources page um and we've also um, some folks have been asking, are you ever going to sanction so we can play those last first edition adventure pass? Um, that is something that we have been heavily looking into, and I expect that there will be more news on that front coming down the pike very shortly. Um, as it pertains to the Pathfinder Adventure Card Society, this is our program that is tied to the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, where we released um, several seasons of new adventures for folks who are playing that. Um, the Pathfinder Adventure Card, uh, the Pathfinder Adventure Card Society just recently retired. Um, it's a program that we really enjoyed. I know I certainly really enjoyed playing that, and it was it was sad to see it go. But we considered that without you know other card game releases that were being announced on the horizon, we were looking at where we could dedicate our resources to support. And um, we ultimately made the decision that it was going to be best for us to pour more resources into the into the Pathfinder Society and Starfinder Society programs. Um, but it's not it's an, but just like the Pathfinder Society first edition program, it's not gone. You can still play adventures. Um, we've got at this very convention, we've got a special adventure, the Protean's Prank, that is running on Sunday. And uh, we also have rules for folks to make their own adventures um, that are part uh, that you can that you can check out uh, that you can see as well in the uh, in the guide for Pathfinder Adventure Card Society. So that is something that was certainly sad to see go, but it will still be around in the background and in our hearts. So I wanted to say that as well before we before we got into what is new and shiny and coming up. 
So let's talk about what we have going on this year in Starfinder Society with the with the year of the data. Yeah. Yes, so, definitely. So, Which is... so Jenny, Jenny and your raccoon. Yeah. Um, Jenny and your raccoon. Can you tell us a little more about what what is the year of the data scourge? Okay, and I don't I don't know that I see uh, data scourge art, but that's okay. You can just imagine. Yeah, let's, like, let's a really move to cool... the next slide. Yeah, we got a little behind there. Yeah. Oh, that's all good. Okay, cool. So I love this art, and I know a lot of people have seen it before, but uh, writing this art order and getting to work with other people on this team and the artists in-house in was really exciting. And to see this, I was like, wow, this looks like it came out of a comic book. And this is something that like we came up with as a team. So super cool. Like I came up with this idea and worked on it with people and oh my gosh, because this is this was like the first time I'd seen something like this. So um, basically the year of the data scourge is even scarier in this year uh, plus of digital virtual space because it is a, a a computer virus or rather like a malicious code that has infected packed world infospheres uh, in, uh, excuse me, I can't talk, at the same time as a mysterious robotic army attacks the Lorespire complex, which is the Starfinder Society's headquarters. So the way this season starts off is it puts the, the PCs, like the Starfinder agents, in the path of this disaster as they're just minding their own business on the station, and then boom, there's robots attacking, there's, you know, communications going down, and they have to react and see if they can fight their way and think their way back to the Lorespire complex. What follows is an investigation into what caused the data scourge or who caused the data scourge. That is ongoing. Uh, the plot is, oh goodness, I, which one we're on, but the plot is wrapping up. It is fully, it is fully created at this point, fully outlined. And I'm really excited to see what people think about uh, kind of the the mid-season episode, so to speak, and then the finale that uh, that we have planned, because it's going to be pretty cool, I think. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the some of those things that you've got planned that are coming up in the hopper? Some of those adventures that that you're most excited about? Oh gosh, we all have we all have our little animals and pets now. Um. Okay. So some things that are coming oh, that up. Uh, not. Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, so some things show and tell everyone. Oh, that is so cute. That is so cute. Anyway, I'm not going to get distracted. So, <laughs> so things we have coming up. Um, so not everything is related to the data scourge because everybody gets kind of sick of it when even if it's super awesome, everything is like the same plot. Like if you've been around the block with us, you know, you remember Year of the World Wound, which was really cool, but like everything was like demons, demons, and people, people that didn't want to fight demons were, you know, maybe not the happiest campers. So we want to make sure that it's not all tech support and not all fighting robots and constructs. Um, so one of the scenarios that I'm super excited about was written by an amazing friend and former coworker of mine. Uh, Diego Valdez. Uh, it is called Precious Cargo. And it is a, uh, I'm going to do some minor spoilers. So if you're really worried about that, please don't listen to me for like the next 60 seconds. But basically, I was in a voice chat with some friends one night, and we were just talking about current events and started talking about the Suez Canal incident, because it was back when this had just happened. And I remember saying like, uh, you know, this would be a great, or I think someone else said like, this would be a great idea for a Starfinder Society scenario. You should do that. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay, but how can we make this weirder? And I was like, well, wait, what if the stalled ship had feelings? Like, what if it had like a VI or an AI and it could think and it had feelings and like, 
how would it feel? How would it react? Why is it that this like sentient ship would be like trapped in, you know, in space? And so I started coming up with this weird, crazy idea from there. Um, and I knew instantly that Diego was the only person I wanted to write this thing because he did some excellent work that I contract developed in Starship Operations Manual all about um, all about like sentient ships, like ships with VI and AI made by like Anasites, right, on Abalon. So I knew he would already kind of have that interest and background. Plus, he is such a compassionate person and he's he's funny and he's got such a weird imagination that I felt like he would be perfect. So I assigned that to him and he and I just kind of like spitballed and created this adventure. And honestly, like if you want to ship literal ships, yes, I mean it that way. You <laughs> need to play Precious Cargo. Like it's it's probably one of the weirder things I've done. Um, I'm also excited about one that just came out recently. Um I'd heard some things in the community about people being upset that we'd worked with the Vescarium, like we, the society, had worked with the Vescarium and not had a chance to say, oh, I don't know if we agree with their policies. Like, we don't agree with, like, the you know, how the Patras are trying to rebel, maybe, but they can't. Um, so, and I had those concerns myself, but uh, the scenario actually deals with a Patra rebellion and it gives the players more agency, I believe, and more chances to control that narrative and decide how they want to interact with those Patra and with the Vesk, uh, kind of like who they want to support. And there's reporting elements so we can see who the majority of the society feels more sympathetic towards, and we can possibly work that into future narratives um, and make that choice matter for you, for you as players and GMs. So that I'm really excited about. Uh, another really awesome freelancer, Shay, uh, Shay Snow is writing that. They uh, and they are a native person from Texas, um, which is my home state. But <laughs> so we have that connection. But uh, Patra are very like indigenous coded, I feel like in Starfinder. So giving them the opportunity to work on that was really cool. Because we had some really cool conversations, um, really informative conversations. We shared a lot of playlists going through that scenario in the writing and dev process. So yeah, I may be going on about these a bit much, but like I'm very excited about a lot. One more that I will mention before I let Linda talk again and, and ask another Tell question. Tell us about what's coming on. out in December, yeah. Yes, that's what I'm getting to, okay. So we all know that every season needs a holiday special, right? Uh, we are going to have the first ever, ever Starfinder holiday special coming out in December. And it is going to be the most adorable thing ever. Uh, the The author that I, I have assigned right now to it um, is amazing. And I think they're going to do an excellent job with it. Uh, it, is, it is whimsical and weird. It explores the four Pact Worlds, three of the, I believe three of the four Pact Worlds holidays I established in a December blog. If you look up the December Starfinder blog from last year, there's a little piece of what's essentially Starfinder Society fanfic that I wrote. Um, it's like, it's fiction, but it's fanfic about my own thing. So I don't know if that's really fanfic, but- uh, If you write it, I don't think it's fanfic anymore. Yeah, it's, it's not Okay, really. yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a canon piece of fiction on the on the blog, and it also details four new holidays that are celebrated in the Pact World. These are things that I talked about with the Starfinder creative team and got their sign off and approval and like workshop with them. So these are real. Like you can use. They're not in a book yet. Yet, 
but you can use these things <laughs> in your game. So our quest or our adventure is going to revisit these holidays and uh, you're going to get to have some holiday hijinks. So yay. I'm excited. I love with Starfinder <laughs> how you can you can experience such a wide variety of genres within the same game. You can do everything from like any combination of yeah. heartwarming and weird and serious and just whatever you want, you can throw it together. And the I short the form ships, of the adventures yeah. that we make love make so many opportunities for us to to play around with that. And and you you guys do such a great job with that. Um, because Star because Pathfinder is, is also a, a an open setting that allows for, for that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to ask you too, Jenny. Um, so you and Thirsty were the dynamic duo that was behind the planning for the, the linked <laughs> yeah. interactive that is debuting at this show. Without spoiling the plot, because I'm sure plenty of our viewers are gonna are signed up for that already. Can you share a bit about what planning that was like and uh, why people should play it? Okay, so that was another one that came as a result, or it was helped shaped by uh, voice calls with friends, um, thirsty, and actually it's funny because we have the specter of like John Compton, like, you know, kind of like <laughs> rearing up in that unholy triad of like, let's, let's talk specials because he had so much experience with it in the past. So we, we wanted there to be a crossover. Uh, that was the big thing is there had never been a crossover and long before I came onto the staff as a full-time employee, this was something that I believe it started with Thirsty and Mike Sayre and, and John had buy-in and interest in it too, that they planned this crossover event. So we talked about it and we're like, well, this could be a big like earth shattering thing, but that's what literally every special is, right? Like it's always, you know, you got to save the world because demons are clawing their way out of you know, out of like this scar in the earth, or, you know, there's people trying to like take Absalom, like they're literally attacking an army and we have to fight them off. And that's super cool, but it gets a little bit like tiring after a while. I think we want, we just wanted to tell a different type of story. Um, so we came up with an idea to tell like a personal story about bonds between people and, and still letting the society explore and adventure or the societies rather but we wanted it to be more personal and about like bonds between uh, people, like characters, as well as the characters in the stories. Um, so I kind of took off from there and I don't, goodness, I don't really want to spoil it for you, but you really should play it because they are truly intertwined. And to find out what happens with the Pathfinder, with the character you'll meet in the Pathfinder Society special, you need to play the Starfinder. Uh, the Starfinder counterpart, and I think, I think that people who play it. Will... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I think you will. I hope you will get invested emotionally in this character and want to see what happens. But what were you gonna say, Linda? One more thing we can say about that is that um, is that the events of the Pathfinder version will absolutely impact what happens during the Starfinder one. So we've got that kind of yes. connectivity. And you're going to see those callbacks. You're going to see how how successful you were in Pathfinder determines what the state is in Starfinder. So that was something that was really fun to work on too, is that intermeshing. Very cool. So, um, what are well, one last question for you, Jenny? Before we before we yeah. flip this over to the Pathfinder side, what are some of your favorite Starfinder Society NPCs? Oh, that's so hard. Cause that's like asking about like your favorite children and adopted children. <laughs> um, 
Oh gosh. I would have to Did say I get an like, apple. I mean, this <laughs> so Datch is definitely <laughs> one of my favorites because I got to I got to help shape her from the beginning. And I just love her brand of evil, like her scheming. And uh, I enjoyed writing the the handouts and the Datch quest because it's like you just get into this mindset of this absolutely scheming, like manipulating person who's always in control and always a little snarky, you know, and it's it was super fun. It's like it's kind of a Saturday morning cartoon villain like Datch with a little more nuance. Um, so I really like Datch a lot. I also surprising no one. I, I love Salita because she's a, she's an, a super strong, like amazing, smart Android lady who, uh, who kicks butt and uh, she's, she's pretty cool. Other than that, um, I like Radazam a lot too, but I think that's just because we always, I always give him the Russian accent and I, I like have fun role playing that. So, so yeah. There's so many great NPCs in Starfinder. I, I know, I know, I asked you the, the pick your favorite children question. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so some of the ones you like, yeah, right. So, mm -hmm. um, so that that's really cool about the the year of the Data Scourge, and we will have much more, much more news to come in that regard. But to make sure that we stay on target with our time, uh, let's talk about what we have going on this year in Pathfinder Society in the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries. So, so Mike, what, what is this year of Shattered Sanctuaries? So the year of Shattered Sanctuaries is our year three meta plot, which is kind of like the, the A plot of a, of a season of a TV show, right? And uh, in the year of Shattered Sanctuaries, imagine that uh, in, in year two, all of the Pathfinders were away in Iobaria and uh, helping to uh, fight terrible monsters and recover relics. And while they're away, the uh, Grand Lodge in the city of Absalom suddenly gets a whole bunch of urgent requests from a bunch of lodges in the inner sea. And the Pathfinder Society in Galarian has lodges, much like we have lodges in the real world where Pathfinder players gather in the setting. These lodges are places where the Pathfinders themselves gather before going out on their missions. And so suddenly all of this urgent correspondence is coming in from uh, several prominent inner sea lodges and uh, all of these problems need to be dealt with all at once. And then if you've played the intro to the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries, which debuted last month, you know that some more urgent problems also arise in Absalom itself. So suddenly there's all these problems going on. And at first, maybe you think, are they... Is this a coincidence or are they somehow connected? And that is what the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries is about. Very cool. And I realize, uh, I realize listening to you there that there, there's probably something that, that I should say that we've kind of left implied because we eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff, which is that <laughs> uh, the terms Pathfinder Society and Starfinder Society refer both to our, our organizations and programs of people playing worldwide and also the in-game organizations that are leagues of adventurers and explorers and thrill seekers. So, um, so if you might be wondering like, oh, why are they saying Pathfinder Society in the game and out of the game? It, it's both, it can be confusing sometimes, but it is the, the, the Pathfinders uh, play Pathfinder and they play Pathfinder Society characters who are Pathfinders. It's very simple. Who go to the lodge, Pathfinders. <laughs> <laughs> 
We That's could go right. down this rabbit hole a while, but <laughs> I, I'm, I don't want to cut into into Mike's time too much here. But I thought we should address that. So, um, so what are some of the exciting places that um, people can expect to see this season? In the well, the the uh, the astute viewer will have seen in that year three art that the banners that are on the wall there of the Grand Lodge display some symbols from five inner sea nations in the world of Galarian that were actually former factions of the Pathfinder Society back in Pathfinder First Edition in Pathfinder Society for a while. The groups that you could be a part of within the society all represented these nations. And not surprisingly, these nations are the ones that we're going to be focusing on during the metal plot for the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries. So you have Andoran, Chiliax, Taldor, Kadira, and Osirian, which are all getting a two-part arc, so two adventures for each of those locations. And then Absalom itself, where the Grand Lodge is based, kind of the main headquarters, is getting a four-part arc as well. So with the structure of the season, people can, um, you have somewhat of an overarching story, but people can really come in and jump in and do like little pieces of the story and still get a complete a complete picture yeah. of a story in a particular place. The meta plot here is different than some we've done in the past where, you, you know, you want to play all of them in order to get the full story. This meta plot is pretty heavy, right? 14 scenarios is a pretty heavy meta plot. But the idea is that you could jump in and you could do the two in Andoran and get a full story right there. But they're connected to the others as well, right? So if you want to get the complete picture, you you would probably want to play the whole season, of course, but uh, we want there to be satisfying stories for people who can play two, four, six, seven, or 14. So with going to so many different regions in the stories, what are some of the strategies that you use to help showcase different regions and tell a broad variety of stories? Well, each of these places has a long history and a lot of interesting characters who've shown up in the past. So a lot of my inspiration just came from looking at adventures that we've set in these areas before, right? They were very prominent locations uh, for a long time. So there's a lot of content and a lot of history there. And a lot of the year three stuff is kind of exploring some of that. Um, we don't want people to feel like they have to understand everything that's happened in all of these different places in order to understand the story. We want to tell a story about what's happening now and what's happening moving forward. But that's where I drew a lot of inspiration from, as well as just thinking about, well, what are the different kind of adventures that, that players of this game want to play? They want to do some dungeon crawls sometimes. They want to do some social or political intrigue sometimes. They want to do more exploration or puzzles. And so how can I, you know, which regions are best for those different kinds of adventures and, and where might they best be placed? One of the features that's new in the outlines that you've been sending out to freelancers this year, Mike, is that you have a section that talks about the overarching themes of the season. Could you share a bit about that, why you decided to add that part and maybe a teaser about what one of those themes is? Uh, yeah, I... First of all, I'll have to give a shout out to uh, Tessa, one of our editors, the editor who works um, most often with me on Pathfinder Society scenarios to make them really shine, uh, who really 
worked hard on these themes as well. So I certainly don't take credit for them. And also the freelance authors who are making the themes actually come out in the stories. Um, but I have been sending out um, several themes that I want the authors to explore in the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries. We've talked about these regions and how they are, they have a long history. And so one of the themes, for example, is past actions are not forgotten, whether it's good deeds paying off or mistakes coming back to bite in society. The actions of the society at large have consequences. Uh, also, you asked for one, but I'll give one more. Relationships and allegiances matter. So I want the authors to be thinking about both within the scope of the one adventure they might be writing and also the ongoing story as a whole. What uh, friends and allies do the Pathfinders have that they can rely on during this time of, of need? Um, so it's stuff kind of like that that I want people to be exploring as they're telling these stories so that even though we have all of these scattered locations we're going to, we have some central sort of storylines and themes that we're exploring in, in year three. And if I can jump and in and say one thing before, oh, yes, before Linda goes Go again. Ahead, Alex. No, I just, um, you know, that's, I talked earlier about how this is, these are living campaigns and actions have consequences, choices have consequences. Part of our reporting is often the GMs will report, did you make friends with this person? Did this NPC survive or whatever? And for the Pathfinder Society players out there, I can tell you that Mike has asked me for a lot of that data recently. So <laughs> your actions are about to have consequences. I hope you're happy with them. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of requests lately from, can you send me this scenario's flags? Can you send me this one? So yes, he has plans. I can confirm. What did the players do there? Did they fly with this person? Did they attack them? Did they turn them in? Is, like, what are is they this doing? person still alive? <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, the way the data gets spat out is just based on like checkboxes. So I get like count of like A, B, C, D. And every time I send them to Mike, I go pull up the scenario. Like, okay, but like, what does that mean? Like, because I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? What happened? Ooh, fun. So yeah. It's always interesting my to see too. Yeah, I think that's Go my ahead, favorite Jane. thing about society. Yeah, because like it is interesting to see. It's really, it's really cool. It's like you can the players can influence the campaign, but it's also almost like a, a positive social experiment that we can do and see like <laughs> what do they pick. <laughs> so, and it's actually funny because overall, our our players in Starfinder at least choose typically like very ethical and moral choices even when we joked about how they'd be like you know murder hobos and just take everything that wasn't nailed down and like you know cut it cut use this guy's like head or something to like open the optical scanner like they don't do stuff like that like most of our players don't and hats off to y'all like heck yeah because that's you know that's awesome we like to offer solutions and see what players want to do <laughs> and then let the stories yeah. grow from there Yes. And say, they did what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, story, stories are going to have different choices that, uh, that people can make. And, you know, while we do have, well, while our adventures are pretty short, there's still, there's still a lot of decision points that can come into that. And um, we, we like to take that to, to spin the stories that we tell in the future. Uh, so, Mike, you mentioned that you've got plans coming up for um, Andoran, Sheliak, so Sierran, Kadira, and Taldor. But I understand you're also going to be going even much, much farther than the Inner Sea uh, this season. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, we do have some scenarios, non-metaplot scenarios that are intended to be sort of a standalone or maybe continue a, a smaller side story that we've had from the past. And so one of the locations that I am planning to revisit during year three with one of those standalone scenarios uh, to follow up on some content from prior years is Arcadia which I hope people are excited about. There's been some efforts among the society to go there and establish uh, new allegiances and a lodge there as well uh, for further exploration and um, more new friends. <laughs> so we're exploring places, but we're also exploring levels a little bit, uh, a little bit coming up here. We're gonna be we're gonna be seeing something higher level than we've seen before for Pathfinder Society. Yes, and I think possibly sooner than some people have been expecting. I've been paying attention to some conversations and people wondering when are we going to see a level nine through twelve scenario for Pathfinder Society. And I am pleased to tell you that we will see, be seeing the first 9 through 12 scenario at PaizoCon, which will be in May, the end of May. So yeah. that is going to be very exciting. Yeah. It is not a metaplot scenario. And I intentionally made it not a metaplot scenario because uh, many people will be ready for a 9 through 12 scenario uh, by PaizoCon. And other people might say, oh, no, I need to, to level up and get there. And maybe, you know, they don't quite get there in time, but I still want this scenario to be relevant uh, for a long time and make people not feel like, they, oh, it was part of that meta plot and, and I missed it, you know, and three years later, they, they still will be able to play it. And so 9 through 12, uh, coming in May 2022, is that what year it is? Time has no meaning. That, that yes. will be next year, yes. That will be next year. I don't know, yes. but <laughs> they say that it will be. <laughs> it will be. It will be. And okay. you see this with the um, with the it, with the interactive special that we've got debuting here too. It's not connected to our seasons. It's not connected to our meta plots. So we've been doing a lot of thinking about for these sort of special events. Um, how much do they need to be connected to our overarching stories versus how much can they stand on their own so that they're easier for people to plug and play. So um, look forward to hearing what folks think about that. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, share about the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries? Oh. Uh, only that I hope that you uh, take very good care of rain and cloudy day. Go play intro one and two and uh, go play the Year of Shattered Sanctuaries intro and you'll get to meet uh, beloved fungal leshy rain and cloudy day. Uh, credit to Thirsty, of course, for, for the creation of this NPC who will be returning. Uh, and I hope you take very good care of him. Or else I will find Jenny, did you have something else you wanted to say other than threats on behalf of adorable Lushies, which are also 100% valid? Yes, take care of Lushy boy. But um, yeah, I wanted to say, have we, we, have we announced the Starfinder, the other types of Starfinder adventures? We have, right? Do you no? mean um, the, do you... other types than scenarios? The, uh, yes. Do you yes. mean the bounties? Yes. Okay. 
Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I, th- I thought we had, but like seriously, yes, time yes. has no meaning sometimes. No, okay. we, we so have, we I, have. I also, okay, I just want to like bring up that we are now going to have bounties for Starfinder. Uh, they won't necessarily be Starfinder Society like related. They're not tied in, but you can. Like they'll be, you know, sanctioned day one, obviously, like as a part of the system. But uh, that's going to be really cool because that'll be starting at first level. That'll be some material you can put into your game days or hopefully use to recruit. And maybe teach people the game because the biggest thing I see when people look at Starfinders, they're like, wow, I love this setting and this seems cool, but I don't know how to play it. And like, if you came on board in 2E, it's it's the rules are a bit different. So some people get a little intimidated, but the bounties are going to be a really good way to play with that and hopefully learn and teach others. So uh, I'm excited about those two. And you'll get a chance to hear more about them as a part of the uh, the panel on pr- the print and digital adventures um, panel that we've got coming up on Friday. But I think that's definitely worth mentioning here. So thanks for bringing that up, Jenny. Um, speaking of intros, um, Mike mentioned intros, and I just want to be a little more specific here. Pathfinder and Starfinder Society both have a pair of introductory scenarios that are designed for people to jump right in, starting at level one. Don't assume you know what the Pathfinder or Starfinder Society is. You've got the first one that talks about, in both cases, you've got the first one that's sort of like, what is the Pathfinder slash Starfinder Society? And then you've got that second one that talks a bit about the the factions of the Pathfinder and Starfinder Society, which are the sort of sub-organizations that people join based on their their reasons for being a part of the Pathfinder or Starfinder Society, what what drives them. So you can learn a lot more about those from from those adventures, and those are all out right now and ready for folks to play. And I'm sure those are being run here at Gen Con. They sure are. Intro things tend to be quite popular, yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes, we have, so we have many, got... many tables of all of the intros. Sweet. So take a look out for intro one and intro two if you want a if you want an, an adventure that is tailor made if you're new and you want an adventure that's tailor made for you or if you just want to play a character who's a newbie you know what you can play those those as much as you want so so we got a little bit of time here for um, for some questions um, so I'm gonna go ahead and grab those so um, question. Um, there was a question about um, about plans for bounties, and again, that's going to be the type of thing that would be a little better addressed at the at the panel that covers those, because bounties, while they are produced by the Digital Adventures team, are not technically organized play products. Um, so there was um, there was a question about if we have any content for uh, tier eleven plus scenarios upcoming for SFS. Um, I can take that, or you can, Jenny. Either way. Yeah, um, for for like the bounties. Sorry, I looked away for like two seconds and I missed it. I'm so sorry. Oh, no sorry. worries, no worries. I, I can I can take this one too. So uh, we do have yeah. a um, a nine to twelve scenario um, through Sea and Storm that's going to be coming out in October. So yes, um, we, yes, yes. So that's going to be that's going to be really awesome. Um, so that'll be some content for your for your elevens and twelves. Um, we don't have like a, a levels eleven plus like starting their adventure. Um, but we do have another nine to twelve on the on the very near horizon, and we're also going to have another seven to ten coming up in November. So we're getting some, and one of and one of August scenarios was a was a a seven to eleven or seven to ten. So we've got a bunch of high level content coming in right here for folks who are looking mm-hmm. for things to do for those characters. 
Um, next question. Um, how do we choose which races and ancestries um, become boons? Which ones are just available? Which ones aren't in the game? That kind of stuff. How do we how do we do that? How do we do that? Uh, <laughs> we we put everything you want on like a dartboard, and then we just kind of throw darts. No, um, I mean I can t this. This is kind of one of the things that Linda and I <laughs> tag team on a fair amount. Um, some of it, you know, one of the things we do with all of our new books is we put them through what we call a sanctioning process, which is basically we look at all the rules, make sure that they are clear in how that they are supposed to work so that every GM is going to apply them the same way and that they also do not shatter the balance of our game too hard, that there isn't like a new, I don't know, archetype in an adventure path that completely breaks every rule of design and gives you way too many proficiencies. And everything that passes those kind of sniff tests, as well as a couple others, like, is this an evil thing, um, generally gets put into the campaign in some form. The stuff that we put behind boons or put behind an ACP store is generally anything uncommon or rare or that in the lore is kind of meant to be more uncommon or rare on the Starfinder side. We also do kind of look at, like I said, the achievement points are how we reward our GMs. So we do kind of look at what is going to be the shiniest stuff that GMs are going to want the most, and then put that behind a boon at least for a little while so that GMs really get a reward out of volunteering to GM. Because like I say, without them, we wouldn't have a program. So we want to make sure that they are rewarded for their efforts. Um, so that's what there I'm looking at from like an things... operation side. Yeah. Sorry. Um, there are occasionally things, um, particularly we saw in, in Pathfinder First Edition, where there are, uh, where there are races that are really cool and work great when the GM has the time and resources to accommodate around particular challenges like, oh, you know, this PC can fly or whatever, that if you've got pre-published adventures that people are, are running as they stand, that those advent poor adventures aren't necessarily going to stand up well. So that's something that we might yeah. consider as well if there is if there are options whose power level might possibly cause challenges that our entire back catalog of scenarios is not ready to to handle. Right. All right. Um, next question. Um, what is the, how do we decide when to award boons for scenarios and such? Um, there, there's a little bit of talk about like, oh yeah, you know, some, some arcs have boons, some arcs don't. Um, and certainly we've had a lot of changes in the way that we're, we're looking at boons um, in, in recent years, moving from sort of the, the model where the model where there's an expectation that no matter what, every single adventure would have a boon um, that led us kind of down the model that I, I know it's sort of like the, the, the old, the old stereotypical example is like, oh, this scenario gives you a plus one bonus on, on diplomacy checks against the gnolls of Catapesh. Um, which is like so situational <laughs> and it's not working because <laughs> um, there was like one scenario ever where it applied to so so that was great year um, four but... will be gnolls of catapesh <laughs> <laughs> the pathfinder society one boon it won't um, but really though we're taking a look toward making sure that the boons that we create are both things that we feel inspired by and are going to be interesting to people and also ones that are called for by the story. So um, those two factors are, are strongly coming into play there. Um, let's see, what else? Um, 
What are your plans to consider additional repeatable options? I don't know. So, what the is, that, um, is that from a content perspective? Yeah. Um, there's kind of two perspectives on this, and I'll I'll, talk, I'll address it from the from the content perspective. When we when we create something that's repeatable, um, we have to look at we have to look at sort of how extensively repeatable is this thing. So if it's something that's got like a few little bits of story that could be different when you play it in and when you play it with different groups, then that's something that's easier to produce. If you get something that's like um, that, that's like half like path from uh, from Pathfinder First Edition that's got like all these moving parts and stuff like that, then you're getting into something that takes multiple scenarios worth of resources to produce. And we really have to be looking at like, we can't necessarily do that. So it's always a balance between sort of what we can do to make sure that we are investing the time and energy and effort and all the other scenarios that they deserve. And, you know, looking at those sort of considerations. So it's something that we can, we've been talking about as well, of what we can do from, uh, what we can do from a programmatic standpoint to, uh, to make it so that folks would be able to, would be able to access that sort of thing. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to like write. I assume like a repeatable mystery because once you know how the mystery ends, it takes a lot of joy out of playing that scenario <laughs> a second time because it's like, gosh, I wonder if this friendly NPC will betray us at any point in the next three hours. I'm sure I can trust them implicitly. Like, that's not as much fun to replace. So, mm -hmm. I've got another Alex specific Never question happened. here. Um, this is very oh, specific. Um, when will oh, tattoos be one of the promotional items that give us in-game <laughs> benefits like shirts? Oh, David, uh, you know what? Whatever <laughs> I feel like. It. No. Um, so that actually is kind of a thing that we're looking at with things, not necessarily like tattoos, but with, for example, this lovely book that I have right next to me, the Beetle and Grimm's Complete Character Chronicles. Uh, don't mind me, I'm just shilling over here. Um, we are looking at <laughs> taking a look at the at the at the perks page that exists right now because it's very specific about these specific items give specific rewards, and so we are kind of looking at making that a little bit more generic about like a campaign coin might give you this reward and an accessory, which is this sort of thing, might give you this reward and a T-shirt might give you this. So sooner than you think, I can't make any promises about tattoos specifically. But I mean, if you're going to put the Pathfinder Society emblem on your body forever, I don't know, you should get something for that, right? Right? I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I really that's do. That's just fair. Like, yeah, fair uh, I think we've got time for one more question here, which I just got from, it looks like came from folks who were in the Guns and Gears panel. Um, oh, quote, boy. I really, really, really want yeah. to play an adventure in PFS after Guns and Gears come out. But with the class being an uncommon class, will I be able to do that? Uh, I don't know, Linda. Will they be able to do that? Um, yes, they will. <laughs> I, the answer is yes. I will put asterisks on everything I'm about to say. We have not gotten the additional resources reviews back yet from our volunteers. <laughs> we have not cracked open the book yet. Having said all of that, we fully intend to let everyone play Gunslingers and Inventors because we want you to have nice classes. Even if we make a bunch of other stuff, Boone will we'll give y'all access to those so you can have nice things. You may have one nice thing today. Someone <laughs> ought to make sure that we have some cool adventures set in some cool locations that are appropriate for those kinds of characters. Gosh, I don't know. 
Yeah. Who would that Gee, be? I, wonder, I, wonder, <laughs> I, yeah. I know of the perfect oh. person for that, in fact. <laughs> I do know a guy. Yeah. And with that, um, thank you all so much for coming to our organized play panel. We are going to be on Discord for another hour, so you can ask us more questions there. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Bye.